another episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Macy, and we're back this week with a guest again, back to regular scheduled programming. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the solo episodes. If not, doesn't matter because we're back on track here. I just like doing those, sharing my thoughts and opinions with what's going on. It's refreshing at times. But I'm joined today by Maxwell Hone, a Canadian underwater diver, videographer, cinematographer, DOP, who I've never really stumbled across anybody who does work like this just in it speaks I guess to the Instagram algorithm who doesn't show you some of the things that you do want to be shown even though it doesn't think so but this episode is really awesome we get into a lot of cool things and this is the last time I'm going to mention uh, the Polar Pro gift card giveaway for 10,000 downloads it'll probably hit that after this episode all you have to do is rate and review the show uh, the podcast on Apple on Apple Podcasts and send me a screenshot via DM that you did it and you're entered to win. And you've probably heard me say that enough times now. Let's get into the episode and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, well, this is an interesting question. So obviously, you know, you're doing your videographer as your line of work. This is where you're making your money from. Um, how does your line of work differ from your personal projects, even though they're kind of like your, your personal projects still involve doing video and photography? How do they how does your work differ when you're saying you're doing projects for yourself? Because this is a very interesting topic and I think important for people who, myself included, like I make money with my camera. But like you said, what I want to work on personally is very different from what necessarily makes income. So I'm curious as to know, A, your thoughts on that and just B, you know, what's, what are your personal projects versus your the things that are making you your income? I just, um, I love being underwater. So any chance I get any opportunity that arises, I'm, I'm underwater and, you know, I'll collect stock footage. I'll collect stock photos to sell and all these, you know, side projects end up paying off in the long run. So no matter what, I'm constantly always working, but it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm working to, to me. It's, it's what I do and I, what I love and yeah, I just try to, Sorry, I got my alarm going off here. No um, problem. That was our original podcast. That's right. Yeah. So I. <laughs> for I mean, people listening, when they, I'm not going to edit that out. For people listening, I changed the time on Maxwell. So the alarm you heard, I'm not going to edit it out. It's my fault. It's my fault. And as we're two Canadians, I will say sorry. <laughs> sorry, but continue. Yeah, I mean, you know, being a, a photographer and cinematographer for for a living, no matter what, like you know, you've, you've got to have breaks every, every now and then. But when I right. get back to working on personal projects, it's still, you know, all in a goal in the long run to, to, to make my career better and, and as much as I can. That's just it, man. I think personal projects, like you said, it's, it's, you're always kind of working. And I, I feel that as a photographer, like whatever I'm working on is going to benefit my career in the long run. I, I really think so. And I mean, I think it's important that way because the stuff that you, what I'm trying to say is the stuff you enjoy shooting, you should be trying to make that your income. So I think work never really stops. And like you said, taking a break is important, but that could be doing something totally random. I've mentioned it on this, this show before, like when the weather's good, I like going out and riding my little cruiser skateboard longboard around just something I know that I don't have to be good at. Cause I think as creators and especially, uh, you know, photographers and videographers, everything we put out needs to be the best. It has our name stamped on it. And it's so nice sometimes to just have that thing that you don't have to be an absolute perfectionist at, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. I mean, 
I am just drawn to the water. No matter what I do, I have to be in the water. So that's, that's my happy really? place. And how long, how much of your life has been spent in the water? Um, I just recently hit over 3,800 hours underwater. How have you been keeping track of this? That's cool. I love that. <laughs> um, log books, dive computers. I've, I've got a stack of, of, of logs that I've kept over the years, but I mean, I've made my living in the water since I graduated high school. So it's, um, that's it's, cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, and it's funny, right? Cause there's the saying that it takes 10,000 hours to master something. Do you believe in that? I do. You know, yeah. I, when, I, when I did my first hundred hours underwater, I thought I was, I was pro. And then I right. did another couple hundred hours and I realized I'm just, I've just scratched the surface. There's so much more to learn. And right. Um, so a long way to go, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Practice, 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 practice. I love that. So we're a little bit into the episode now. Why don't, um, why don't you just tell us how you got into diving and how your whole career started? I mean, I would love to hear that, how you go from graduating high school to getting in the water, to bringing camera and video gear in the water to now working on massive projects. Like what did you say? BBC, who have been some of your other, um, who've been some of the other companies or, or, or broad or not broadcast, but production companies you've been doing things for. Um, BBC, Netflix, Apple TV, Nat Geo, just crazy. Um, a lot of uh, smaller networks in around Canada, but yeah, right. it's, it's it's been pretty exciting. So, how do you go from graduating high school to that? Give us the the if we were an elevator together and there was <laughs> a minute ride. How would that? How does that story start to where you're at now? Yeah, I mean that's that's the story of my life, man. I um, I always wanted to go to film school. Like um, at a early age, I I decided that that's the route I was going to go. So I had two months to kill um, after high school and I decided to go traveling in Central America and I picked Honduras and I signed up for a, a volunteer project and what I was going to do is work in the, the rainforest and help with animals and things like that you know something that nice. you know, a 17 year old reads and it's just like oh it sounds really cool I gotta go do that so I uh, I packed up some bags and I went down to Honduras and I started Spanish school when I got there and then I went to start this, the, the volunteer project, but, uh, they decided that they wanted me to just stay in their, their office and spell correct their, their English stuff. And I was like, no way. Like I can't, I didn't come all the way down here to do that. And, uh, I, so I started backpacking <laughs> and I made my way out to the, the Bay islands and, um, and on, off the, the coast of Honduras, there's this little island called Utila and it's like a, a backpacker Mecca. And it's a place that's really famous for people to go and dive and learn how to learn scuba certifications and things like that. So I went out that way. I took my open water course and I, I fell in love with the lifestyle. My, my instructor just right. a- absolutely hooked me in. And, and, you know, he's this tall Kiwi beach blonde guy that, you know, uh, all the women loved and the beer, the, the men would buy You're like, them. that's the life I want. Yeah. I was like, man, I want to be you. And he's like, well, well you can, why don't you just stay here and do your courses? So I was like, you know what? That's, that sounds like a great idea. So I, um, I put off school for, for a bit. I was going to, you know, take a year and then I was going to go back to, to film school, uh, start film school. Um, and I went through all my scuba instructor programs and was bartending at the same time that made a little bit of side money on the during the training and 
I ended up uh, doing that for eight years, just traveling and working all over the world as a scuba instructor. And um, along the way, I was, you know, I didn't have like fancy camera gear or anything like that, but I had like a compact system and I'd, I'd take photos and uh, kind of learn right. photography and and video from, from other people that I met along the, my, my travels. And, and then I kind of hit a point in my career where, you know, teaching scuba diving recreationally is, it's a really fun lifestyle. Like you get to work in such exotic locations on yachts and resorts and things like that all over the world, but you, you're never going to be able to buy a house or a car or, or the camera gear that I, I ever so wanted right. to get. So I, I decided to go into commercial diving and commercial diving was my answer to being able to afford a house and fill it with camera gear. I uh, nice. worked, worked commercially for, for several years or about six years all, all across Canada. And then I kind of, uh, phased out of commercial diving the last couple of years and fully transferred, transferred into my true passion for, for film and combining it with the underwater element. That's really cool, man. So when you're saying commercial diving, what do you, what does that entail as opposed to what you're doing now? What's the difference between the two? Commercial diving is any kind of work underwater. So if you're getting paid to, let's say, inspect a pipeline or doing an environmental survey. Right. So it could have nothing to do with a camera is what you're saying. Not necessarily. Uh, it, it actually is a huge benefit because with my commercial diving certifications, I can do jobs for BBC as an underwater cameraman. So right. they, they do actually, you know, a lot of the UK productions re- require you to be commercially certified to, to operate a camera underwater. So all that training that I did in the past was all totally applicable to what I'm doing now. That's really cool. And what I love about this too is how being super specialized because not everyone not everyone is doing this man like this is a very super specialized skill that you have and i think that's really i want people to hear and, and we see it in, in everyday life that's really what people pay for that skill set right if it doesn't even have to be diving if you can find a way to specialize in something like you are the best um you know barn owl photographer you're going to get hired by some sort of company or documentary yeah to to, to film that you know Mm -hmm. um just to get people thinking about how okay how can i maybe specialize in a certain area as opposed to just like churning out whatever i think that's really cool and i love that the passion for the water was you know whether or not a camera existed or not which is so important doing things for the right reasons what we talk about a lot on this podcast and kind of asking your why why are you doing stuff and i think your your answer is awesome in just in its simplicity so i love water like i just love being in it i love diving i love seeing that stuff that's really cool um you mentioned earlier maybe a few minutes ago about licensing how you just put up stock footage and and stock uh photography stock photos where what are your go-to sites for that um i know i use 500 px but there's tons of others where have you found the most success and is it different for photo and video um because i'm in such a a niche market with the kind of the underwater world and i really specialize in cold water environments off the coast of british columbia i mean there's not a ton of people doing it i mean there's there's you know a good handful of uh, photographers videographers out there but I mean, it's not, it's not saturated. So I, I usually get contacted directly. And what I've done is um, cool. I've kind of identified the, the key species that a lot of productions look for, 
whether it's you know just some stills of salmon or some some video of, of sea lions or something like that i've collected these 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 pools and i've just categorized them on dropbox so no matter where i am in the world i've got a link to those 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 files and i if someone right. say, says hey like i want to buy some some salmon shots i'm like yep here's a link here's the prices and here you go and then there's no third party Right. No third party taking a cut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's so important. Again, speaking to being specialized, like you said, it's not a very saturated market. I mean, if, if you wanted a photo of the Rocky Mountains, you're competing with a, hundreds of millions of other people. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's I love that idea of, and I actually wanted to do a clubhouse room and we'll get to clubhouse in a minute. I wanted to do a clubhouse room on file management, just like how to be digitally organized. I feel like people are so helter skelter. And I love the planning behind that. Most people would just carry it on a drive around the world, those, you know, um, as opposed Mm -hmm. to links to footage. I think it's so important that you have your stuff backed up in so many places, especially with the places that you're going. Like what if your luggage didn't make it or somebody stole your bags? It's so important to have stuff in a cloud-based service somewhere and on a physical drive. So that's cool. I want people to to do that too. I know I use Dropbox and G like I have so many backups. It's not even funny. Um, just in case, like what if there's a house fire and both my drives burn, you know, just like stupid stuff like that. I think of all the time. Absolutely. But yeah. Clubhouse. So everyone listening, this is the first photographer mindset podcast that has been arranged because Maxwell and I were in a room together on Clubhouse. And I wanted to bring this up because I am such an advocate for this platform. I know you're in Trinidad and Tobago quarantining and it's probably a lifesaver for you to tune in and listen and share your opinion with like-minded people. But I wanted to, I I think most of the people listening to will probably be on Clubhouse too, which is good, good for you guys because it is so easy and efficient to network with people you gel with. You know what I mean? I mean, I and, and back to, you know, shitting on Instagram. It's like, I never would have found your work, man. There's no way. There's zero percent chance just because it doesn't it doesn't work that way. You know, I don't get a lot of underwater um, content coming across my feed, so I can't engage with it for it to give me more. Like I and I just never would have found that. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on just the platform as an answer, maybe to Instagram and just what you think of it so far. Just so people are hearing it from someone else, and feel free to say you hate it, but just what are your <laughs> thoughts on it? No, I think it's great. Like my my first week that I I got it, I was hooked. Um, it was amazing. Like for you know networking purposes to meet all these these like minded people from all over the world that you wouldn't necessarily meet through Instagram. Um, I I feel like you know after being on Instagram for years, it's kind of got you dialed into a certain category of photographers, videographers. And it doesn't right. really show you outside the box. It's just like, this is what you usually like. So we're going to keep showing this on your, your feeds and stuff. For real. Yeah. Um, so Clubhouse kind of opens that that window and also gives you, you know, a voice to the people behind their work and their in, their interests and their their skill sets. And um, I do like it. There, I mean, there's, there's a lot of BS also on Clubhouse and a, a lot of people. <laughs> share. Please share. And a lot of people just flexing. Like, I, I've just noticed that, like, yeah. just a lot of people are like, this is what I do. I'm the best. I'm, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I, I, so, I, me, me, me. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. why it's so important to get into those rooms. I think, and you know what I'm talking about, and people listening will be nodding their head. When you get into those rooms and you can tell, it's just a, 
just a huge flex. That's all it is. It's just people sharing individual accolades and achievements. And I do this and I do that. And those rooms suck. And I get out of those. quick. But then there's those rooms and you can tell pretty quickly, which is which, where you can tell people are really into what others are saying. Everyone gets a chance to speak. Others chime in when they think they can add something. Moderators are asking questions to speakers. Um, I think those are awesome to be in. And like you said, uh, think about how long or how many exchanges you would have to have via text and an Instagram DM just to get a sense of personality with someone. For example, if you and I were talking in DM, like I would not really know who you were. There's no tonality. Um, Mm -hmm. And obviously Clubhouse directly links to Instagram's to your Instagram portfolio. So while you and I are talking in clubhouse, I can go check out your work and I can just immediately put at least a voice in the tone of your voice and your energy and your enthusiasm to your work. And I think that I was actually talking about this today in a room that it really establishes a personal brand and whether you're trying to establish a personal brand for commercial work to get more business or to network, it doesn't really matter. It's just important that you have that. And I think this is what social media is supposed to be. And it's so fast, right? Yeah, like that's right. You, you and I were in one room and had shared a couple ideas just by sheer chance. And here we are. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great platform. And I'm kind of excited to see how it progresses. I kind of liked it in the beginning when there wasn't as many people on there where it's it pretty like, you know, <laughs> minimal knowledge getting is pretty saturated. Yeah, that's like finding that. The, <laughs> it's like finding the... Uh, that band that you love who's playing in like the crappy diner and they're so awesome. And then they go big time and you're like, Oh, I knew that I, you know, I was here when they were nothing. And <laughs> exactly. yeah. it's kind of that five. I've had that happen before. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no. So clubhouse, everyone get on it. If you have an iPhone, it's very, um, discriminatory to Android people. So sorry, Android users, <laughs> we feel for you. We empathize. But I think it's coming soon and they're going to monetize it too, which I, I don't know. How are you planning on using that app for yourself? Are you planning, are you using it just as sheer entertainment or, you know, do you have some goals for it that align with your career? Um, at the moment, just a hundred percent entertainment. I, I don't really see how I'd be able to market myself per se on there. I mean, it's, it's, it's great connection tool, but, um, right. Yeah. I just, it, it's something nice to flip on. It's like a live podcast. You can just kind of turn it on in the, right. the background and carry about your day, which I, I like that. Yeah. And I was saying to you before we started recording that just like, this is the first, uh, podcast I've done with a guest, not a solo episode since the app really took off. And it's very weird right now, not knowing that people are below listening or that they can't jump up and add insight. So it's very strange, but I, I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, I wanted to talk about, so we were talking about this earlier, kind of, first of all, everyone on Instagram posts their highlights, which is fine, which is fine. We all want to see the best in everybody. Uh, but it's important to, you know, understand that, um, your lifestyle, you know, flying to all these different places, diving, shooting amazing things for companies we've all heard of that we would all wish dream we could shoot for. I was saying to you that for you, that gets normalized. Like that lifestyle at this point in your career is probably very normal, no less spectacular or fulfilling. Don't get me wrong. 
but I'm sure it's, you know, you've somewhat come to, this is my life. It's, it's normal. It's regular. I'm going to get business. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do these things. Um, but for other people who maybe want to get, get into maybe not exactly that, but who are wanting to make photography or videography, their full-time gig, there's a lot of listeners and this is a, this is a tough subject and I'm interested, maybe you can shine more light on your background who there's really two ways to go about this. Actually, there's three. There's you can quit your job tomorrow and you can really just believe in yourself and you can go all into videography or photography and just say, I'm going to sink or swim. I'm going to find a way to make money or I'm not. You can do that or you can be totally risk averse and just make this. And for the record, none of these are right or wrong. Or you could just be totally risk averse and just it can be your hobby forever, right? And you have your job that makes you money and you're, 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 you know, there's no, uh, no risk, I guess you could say. And then there is a lot of people. I think the majority of folks listening have one leg over the fence and one leg over the other and where they're, you know, they're trying to kind of ease into that, that lifestyle where their camera is making the money or their skill set is making them money, but just really can't cut the tether and maybe feel like, as long as they have that plan B, they're never going to be able to migrate over to plan A. I'm curious just as to what your thoughts are on this. I guess you were in the water from a young age and hearing your story now, I guess things sort of fell into place just based on your dedication to to your passion and your skill set. But what are your thoughts maybe or opinion for people listening who might have one leg over on each side? I mean, it's a, it's, it, it's a difficult thing. Like you, you, absolutely want to chase your your passions and your dreams but i think it's also very important to be a you know kind of a jack of all trades you know have have a backup skill you know if, if you're not going to be able right. to afford your mortgage or your rent because you're not getting video jobs back to back to back it's really important to to have some sort of skill that you you can do on the side um I, you know, I'm, I, I have a bunch of skills. So if, if I don't have a shoot, you know, for three months, I could, I could go back to commercial diving. I could do seafood harvesting. I could right. do marine exactly. construction. I could go back to teaching commercial diving. I, um, you know, if I had to, I could, I could, you know, paint a house or something like that. So have these backup <laughs> skills to, to, to make a bit of an income is really crucial. Like if you, if you want to make it, you have to have, you know, the, the money coming in to be able to afford your gear because camera gear is so expensive, especially once you get into the, the red stuff and the cinema gear, like it's, it's just absolutely nuts. Yeah. I, I just recently bit the bullet on all that gear, um, a little bit earlier last year. And yeah, I can tell you like, it's, it's pricey, it's costly, but in, in the long run, I, I hope it'll pay off. Right. I love that. And it's, there was a previous guest on the show named Brooke Little Bear who, um, kind of sort of did what we're talking about. Um, but she went the route of really bulking up savings just so that in that worst case, you know, I have a few months to, to figure shit out, which is, I guess, another way to go. But I, I agree with you have a skill set to fall back on. That's correlated to the industry you're in, or maybe something entirely different. Like I can do construction in a worst case. Like I know how to build walls and a home and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, if all hell broke loose, right? People still need to live somewhere. So let's think about maybe something that, you know, <laughs> is always going to be in need in, in case of total catastrophe. But okay, moving on to your 
you mentioned the red stuff. You're doing all the segueing for me and I, I'm going to clap for you. Not actually because I, I, I'll do it. Um, good segue. So you're the first person I've had on the show who has actually shot with red gear that I'm familiar with that I, that I know of. I don't think anybody else has. I'm just curious to know it's, I don't know much about red stuff. I just know that it is like the Ferrari of filming apparently. And I just kind of want to know why maybe just a little fun thing for people listening. Cause I'm, I, I think most of us are photographers and not videographers. It's just one of those mm-hmm. brands you hear about. Why, why red gear? What is, what is so good about it? What does it do? And why is it part of your arsenal? So let's put like two cameras together. So let's say a really common camera, like a Panasonic GH5. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the cameras that I've used for a very long time. I love it. It's such a such a great camera. And then uh, a red camera next to it, like a Komodo, which is like Red's newest, most affordable camera in the market. It's about six thousand US, and that's just just for the brain. But if you shoot side by side with the red, um, the the Kodak, basically you don't have to worry about your ISO, your white balance all that can be changed in post-production. So right. basically you just have to focus on your, your aperture and your focus and, and, and having a steady shot where with a GH five, I mean, unless you're shooting with vlog and stuff, but I mean, with the GH five, you have a lot more settings to, to kind of monitor to make sure you get the right shot because you're kind of limited what you can do in post-production versus mm-hmm. a red. You get way more flexibility and just the the look of the footage compared to the two side by side, like the, the just the quality of the red is 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 quite amazing. Just one of those things you end up getting an eye for. See, I ha- I don't know much about video. I wish I it's one on my list of goals for twenty twenty one. Is that the year we're in? Yeah, we are. Holy, <laughs> imagine it's twenty twenty two. This pandemic's nuts, man. No, it's just on my list of things to get more into because video just looks so much more fun, and that fourth dimension of motion just allows you to tell so much more of a story in your own way. And I think that's where the appeal is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to soak up as much knowledge as I can about video just cause like I, it's fresh. And I've said this on other podcasts too. So like I'm, I would consider myself someone who's advanced in photography, but an absolute toddler beginner in, in video, which is frustrating, right? Cause it's the mm-hmm. same sort of idea but when you feel like you're so good at something or you're great at something and then you have to go back to being a novice, it can be frustrating. <laughs> and, it, you know? and I mean, the, 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 there's a ton to video versus photography. The video, I mean, you you got you, you got to worry about sound, stability. Lighting is a lot harder c- to control. Where, I mean, with, with photography, it's, it's so easy to edit one photo, one still. For video, yeah, you know, you really got to make sure everything is dialed in and perfect before you you start and hit that shutter, and to really like, you know, learn sequences. So so getting your close ups, your medium shots, and your wide shots, and combining them all to to tell a story, um, right? You know, it's really useful to to go through and watch different documentaries and just don't watch it for the story, but watch for how they, they shoot things and how they piece together the different video clips. And that really helps for, for figuring out how to shoot for yourself. 
Yeah. I mean, it's such simple advice, but you're right. I've been trying to get more into just when are, you know, if I'm watching a movie or documentary or whatever, when are they cutting? When are they throwing in, you know, an aerial? When are they throwing in a close up? How long is that lasting for? Stuff like that. And how is this contributing to their overall story? So I think honestly, just looking for and and watching, like you said, watching not to be entered, not to be like entertained in the sense of the story, but noticing what they're doing and then just replicating it i guess i just watched 1917 if you've seen that movie yeah that's wild <laughs> I, I was exhausted by the end i loved it it was so good but i was trying to count the <laughs> the transitions and the cuts and man your head hurts by the end it's such a good film the entire one take um it just blew my mind i was just, but it just made me think of that trying to watch it i'd never seen a movie that was like that it was very strange yeah it's it pretty cool it was so subtle too for for any of the transitions or cutaways like it was nuts yeah so i got one more question for you uh and then we'll we'll keep this relatively short today half hour to an hour we mix it up on the show um and i usually blindside people with this one on purpose so don't worry it's not that hard but I've been trying to get into the habit of asking creators who, you know, I look up to and who are inspirational. I ask them this question. I say, what fulfills you? That is a very good question. I mean, what fulfills me is, is just being out there in nature and capturing the moment. Um, anyone can go out there and do it. And that's, that's something that I really like, you know, anyone can go out and do it, but can you get that shot that's that's super unique that no one else has ever done before? Right. Can you capture this certain event that takes place with this certain species that no one's ever shot before? Um, that kind of stuff really gets me going, and, and it's quite exciting, um, especially like where I work in the underwater world. There's so many challenges. Like you, you strap a scuba tank to your back, and you're limited by the amount of time you can be down there right you've got, you've got an hour of air on your back you you can only choose one lens because you can't swap lenses underwater you know the, the visibility could be two feet it could be 30 feet um there could be swell there could be current you, you never know where the marine life's going to be you never know what kind of marine life's going to show up so that kind of stuff for me underwater like really gets my my juices flowing and I, I just, yeah, I love that about it. That's cool. Any close calls underwater? Um, you know, I, I feel a lot more comfortable underwater a lot of times than on that. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I, I dove in basically any kind of liquid that you can imagine. Um, in regards to like commercial diving work, like I've, I've dove in mud and effluent ponds and all kinds of stuff that damn you know you don't have any visibility and all you can do is use your your hands to to feel feel around and, and feel where where your workstation is kind of thing. Um, but I mean, in, in regards to like marine life, there's nothing underwater that's out there to get you. It's 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 all relative. Well, there's this giant fear of the ocean, right? The unknown, the depths, and not seeing what's below you. I don't know where that comes from. Yeah, like when, so when you're on a boat and you look into the water, you can't necessarily see down and see what's underneath the surface. And even if it, when you're just snorkeling on the surface, it's hard to see, you know, down to the the seabed. Right. But once you actually get down to the the sea floor and you can look up to the surface, it's completely different. It's um, it's 
very comforting. Like you can, you can be down and it's super calm on the seafloor and look up and the waves are just thrashing and it's pouring down rain, but underwater it's just calm and peaceful and, and tranquil. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, you have this, this weightless environment that you, you know, you can lug around 150 pounds of camera gear and it feels as light as a feather cause it's all neutrally buoyant. And but essentially you're just flying over these, these massive cliffs and through these nooks and crannies and into caves and canyons. And yeah, it's, it's a wild environment. Yeah. I mean, most people are, that's <laughs> funny. The, the basically mountains underwater, right? Most people are looking at the other ones above land. So <laughs> it's, it's like flying a drone. It's like you have with a drone, you have complete freedom to go any direction you want to go. Right. It's, a, it's very similar to being underwater. You can, same, same kind of concept. Right. And we were talking before we started recording about the new, and I guess it's important to mention because you're a drone guy too, the new FPV from DGI. And I said, well, are you going to be buying it? And you said, you're going to go looks, for the Mavic 3 first. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, the, the, the FPV drone looks wicked. And I think they've really dialed in the, you know, making it user-friendly for everyone. Because FPV drones are, are very, you know, hard to, to, to figure out how to use. But this one is is a lot more simple. So, Which is yeah. exciting. I'm excited for that. And I'm also, I have mixed feelings about how easy at least that they've made it seem how easy it is for anyone to go you know with with like two thousand dollars or maybe it might be even less i can't remember the exact price to just go and buy one get their license and start flying like especially in canada where you know we already have super strict drone laws i'm afraid of just you know idiots getting it and just wreaking havoc slamming it into a building or just stupid stuff you know especially at those speeds right so i'm interested to see what this does for drone life in canada or if if it changes anything that's very true i didn't really think about that that kind of perspective but you're absolutely right it's uh, (laughs) now you're like oh shit (laughs) it's scary because they can go as zero to 100 kilometers an hour within two seconds it's, right, it, it's fast, man. And you already have people who don't follow the rules with the slow flying ones, you know, in national parks and stuff, which is a huge fine, and you should never do that. But I'm just, I don't know. We'll see how it, we'll see how it plays out. I'm just a little bit weary. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely hear that. And you know, like I said, I, I'm I'm gonna wait off for uh, my next drone purchase because I mean, FPVs are great but they're not really what I would use for, for my line of work. Um, if there's like a kind of a, a shot that's needed, it would be kind of hired for, for one shoot or whatnot. But I think the, I think the Mavic three is going to be the, the game changer. Um, and why is that for all our dronies? Well, I mean, there's not, there's not too much out about it, but I just feel that it's going to replace the Inspire 2 for, for a lot of different aspects. Not totally. I mean, you know, to be able to put a long lens on an Inspire 2 is pretty wild, especially for, for filming wildlife and whatnot. But mm. to have a drone that's as small as the Mavic Pro that has, like, just a, a high-end camera and maybe some um, better zoom or different lens options that you could be able, be able to put on there. I don't know if they're going to have that, but... I think it's going to be a really good, good drone, especially if it's got some more battery life as well. Right on, man. Any projects you want to let know people know you're working? I know they're secret, but <laughs> anything <laughs> cool or where people can uh, connect with you outside of Instagram, I guess. 
Anything that you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I got lots of exciting stuff on the way. It's going to be on some popular streaming platforms. I can't even say the streaming platform names, but um, when I can, I'll I'll share some behind the scenes stuff and and whatnot. But for you know, for for any projects that are coming up that I can share, it'll be on uh, my website, which is maxwellhone.com or possibly on Instagram or Facebook. But yeah, yes. I mean. If anyone has any questions about underwater gear, diving, stuff like that in general, I'm usually pretty good with the the, the direct messages on, on Instagram. So I, I do actually because I was, you know, all gung ho and ready to go do my scuba and then COVID hit. <laughs> like that's something I've really wanted to get into. It's just like getting in the water and, and bringing my camera with me, even just for stills to start. Yeah. Um I, I mean during this time you can still do your e-learning online which is can you which is nice yeah so you can you can take the full all the theory online and then once you right on you're able you can you can book your pool lessons and your open water dives cool man well i'm definitely going to do that um everyone go follow maxwell maxwell it's been a pleasure having you on the show and thanks for your time i'm glad our schedule is aligned now at first because you're you're from vancouver island right so yeah so when i i'm in toronto and so when i called you i thought that you were gonna be behind is that right and you actually said you're an hour ahead and i freaked me out (laughs) i thought you're a time traveler but you're in trinidad and tobago um who knows where you're gonna be you know next time i talk to you but again thank you man for coming on the show it's been a lot of fun and uh for being the first club host organized guest i guess that's come on <laughs> it's been a pleasure man yeah i think thanks for having me up and um, i look forward to listening to more of your, your podcast so uh, those for listening in make sure you subscribe to the seth podcast oh, thanks. And, now uh, i don't have to do that now i don't have to record that the end. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe tune in for a club host session yes sure be we should organize more. one we should organize one spicy rooms coming up and yeah while you finish your quarantine in your hotel we'll we'll try and organize one that's right (laughs) all right thanks man cheers buddy thanks everyone for listening to another episode of the photographer mindset podcast i guess maxwell did my sign off for me uh yeah if you haven't already he said it not me uh make sure you subscribe uh, to the show and make sure you rate and review it as well until next time everyone go get shooting go get editing and stay focused see you then